something that we've done in the past. We have featured, we called it Arts Sunday before, and we realize that that is too confining because when we think of art, we think of a lot of what we see over here, paintings and drawings and things like that, which is all part of art. We also sometimes think of music, but art goes well beyond that. Why is that? In thinking about our fifth Sunday, the elders were discussing ideas of what to feature. We started out with this idea of art and music, and of course, we've done art and music before, okay? It seemed to be enjoyable to pretty much everyone, and it was meaningful, and so we thought, let's do something like this again. But as we began to discuss and pray about this just a little bit more for our special theme, we wanted to recognize something really important. God is endlessly creative. God is endlessly creative. And so that goes well beyond music and painting, and creativity certainly includes those things, and we're going to feature those things today. When we take pleasure in something that we have created from what God has made, we are reflecting God's creativity. And we're also reflecting the biblical understanding that God takes pleasure in his own creative acts. Have you ever thought of that? God takes pleasure in what he's done. He, he doesn't just create it for us to enjoy. So when we thank God for what he's created and what we enjoy, wow, that beautiful scene or somebody's beautiful piece of art or a beautiful piece of music or whatever that we're going to hear this morning, those things are very appropriate. But God takes pleasure in his own creation. We see this from the very beginning of Scripture, Genesis 1-1. It's on the cover of your bulletin this morning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and that's where it all began. Then throughout the first chapter of Genesis, we see seven times where God saw what he had created, and he said that it was very good. He said that it was good. In other words, he took pleasure in it. He took pleasure in what he created. The Hebrew word translated good in the Old Testament includes the understanding of pleasant, agreeable, and in other places in the Old Testament, the word translated good here is translated beautiful. So it has a rich meaning, and it reveals that God enjoys his own creativity. We also read in Genesis chapter 1 that we were made in God's image. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it said, God created man in his own image. That means we're like him. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So because of this reality, because we are made in God's, Im in God's image, there are aspects of God's nature that we can reflect. Now, only God can create out of nothing. But we can take ingredients, the things that he's created, such as sound, such as the ingredients of paint or light or stone or fabrics, other elements of nature, and we can make art from them. What a wonderful privilege that is. Or even things we don't always think of as artistic. Now, most of you have in your pocket or by your side, or maybe you're even looking at it like Gordon is, you have a smartphone, okay? We don't think of that necessarily as artistic. How about functional buildings or scientific discoveries or economics? Even if we don't think of them as art, they require a tremendous amount of creativity to produce. Again, just like God, we can find enjoyment and meaning in these things. It's also clear that God reveals his glory through his creativity. 
we see in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made. So when we see God's creation, the things that he's created, we see God in a way. Nature reveals God's divine nature. How many of us have been in a beautiful setting somewhere, in the mountains or in the lakes or woods, or we've seen a sunset or we've seen a sunrise, and we have this deep knowing in that moment, God made this. God created this, and it was good. And we see that it's good. It's pleasing to us as well when we see God's works of art, even when we see other people's works of art. God's works of art are beauty that he created. And this creation is designed to direct our gaze to him and worship him. That's why he created these things, to glorify himself. It's not created so that we can worship the creation. That's where some of the environmental movement gets a little bit off base when they worship creation rather than the creator. This verse we just read a moment ago from Romans tells us that when we see the work of his hands, we see God. When we are amazed by the hues of sky at sunset, we are experiencing the physical manifestation of his warmth and goodness to us. When unrelenting waves crash against the shoreline, we feel his unrelenting power and greatness. A cool breeze on a hot afternoon replenishes our bodies in the same way. The Holy Spirit replenishes our soul. A tree laden with snow and still in the cold and crisp morning air sharpens our senses, reminding us of his presence. From soaring mountains to flat deserts, our senses experience the terrain of the spiritual world. These are echoes of God's majesty. They all attest to his creativity. Creativity is part of God's nature. And he has given us, thanks be to God, the ability to create. God created the world out of nothing, and we are called to create out of something that already exists. God is the creator. We are what we might call the sub-creators. That's the term preferred by Francis Schaeffer and J.R.R. Tolkien, both creators in their own right. We paint, we sing, we write, we sew, we design, we mold and form, we build. We do some of these creative things for the purpose of making our lives better. Why do some of these things give us sheer enjoyment? Did you ever think about that? We do some of these things. We create for the sheer enjoyment of creating, even if nobody else ever sees it. Have you ever done something like that and nobody else has ever seen it, but you just got a charge out of being creative? Sometimes this creativity and pro productivity go together pretty well, which makes us enjoy the creative process even more. We, too, have the ability to see something that we've created or someone else has created and say, this is good. This is good. This is beautiful. It's pleasing to our, eyes, our eyesight or pleasing to our senses in some way. Our ability to create and be creative is certainly an expression of God in us. Our creativity is authored by him, and it comes from his hand. It's one of the most important ways that we can imitate the maker of the universe. When we create, we're simply acting out one purpose for which he formed us. He's extending his creativity through us 
And I believe this might even extend to our service of the king. In Ephesians 2.10, it tells us, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Workmanship here is the Greek word from which we derive our English word for poem. He has created us. We are his poem so that our lives will reflect his glory to those around us created for good works. Psalm 139, the psalmist gives thanks for this. He says, I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. My soul knows that very well. His works are wonderful, aren't they, brothers and sisters? They're good. So this morning as part of our fifth Sunday theme, in addition to the displays that some of you have already looked at and hope you'll have a chance to look at after the service if you haven't already, we get to experience God's creative work through his people. We see it in the arts and crafts displayed around the auditorium, and we're going to hear it this morning in music and in dance. So as we do these things, let's glorify the creator. Let's glorify God together this morning for the gift. It's a wonderful gift of creativity given to us by the Creator Himself. And so uh, I want to introduce our theme this morning, and that's what we've done, but I want to tell you what we're going to see now. And uh, each of those who are going to be uh, performing uh, know when they're supposed to come, and they're just going to come, but I'm going to tell you who's coming now. We're going to have Heather Wright come, and Heather, you can come on up while I continue this introduction, and you can get ready. And Heather's going to say, is, Heather, is, I guess you will introduce the song, right? Okay. And then uh, something that we haven't really done, that at least I can recall, we're going to have dance, which I think is another one of God's wonderful creative activities. And we're going to get to see Caitlin Travers dance. And let me tell you, if you've never seen Caitlin dance, you're in for a treat. I've seen Caitlin several times in recitals and such, and she's really good. And so I think we're going to enjoy that. And then Ruth Vasanen is going to come up. And of course, Ruth teaches art, and she's going to have a word about art and show a brief video. And then Jason and Risa Lawrence are going to come sing a duet. And then last and certainly not least, we're going to hear Jim Garrett on the clarinet. So Heather, take it away, dear sister.
you are not hidden there's never been a moment you were forgotten you are not hopeless though you have been broken your innocence stolen I hear you whisper underneath your really well done so I appreciated what Bill had to say about God's creativity and his is the natural fine arts that we enjoy and um, my message is very short this morning is that we should go ahead and enjoy the fine arts because it's what God has given us for our spirits, our souls, and to enrich our lives and to know him better. So what I've actually um, presented, or what I've asked to be presented today is part of a video from YouTube. It's on The Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci. And um, there are a lot of ways we can access the fine arts through our local museums and galleries. Um, on TV and internet and the concerts in the park and in the PAC, etc. But um, I just want to encourage all of us to do that for the, the rest of our, like resting in our souls. So this um, is part of a longer video. It introduces these two.
commentators are talking about what Leonardo da Vinci has done um, on the Last Supper. And um, for me, it's just fascinating because it is, you know, the really important event to all of us as Christians and to see how the painter has brought various things together. So we'll go ahead and run that. in Santa Maria della Grazia in Milan looking at Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper. And we're in the room where the monks would eat, the refectory. And so several times a day, the monks would come in here and eat silently and be able to look up at Leonardo's Last Supper. It's an ideal place, of course, for this particular subject and not an uncommon one. So let's talk about the story. At the Last Supper, Christ says, one of you will betray me to his 12 apostles. And one of the ways that this painting is often read is as a reaction to that moment. That is, this is not the moment when Christ utters that, but the moment after when the reaction takes place. These are his closest followers, and so this is terribly shocking. And so what we see is this incredible set of reactions from the apostles around the table. So that's one way we can understand the fresco. But there's another aspect of the narrative. Which is in some ways even more important. Christ, you can see, is reaching towards both a glass of wine and towards bread. And this is the institution of the sacrament. The sacrament of the Eucharist, we might know it as Holy Communion, where Christ says, take this bread, for this is my body. Take this wine, for this is my blood, and remember me. And you can see that he reaches out toward the bread and the wine. But what's interesting is that Christ's hand is widely spread. So it seems as if he's reaching towards the wine, but at the same time, he's reaching toward a bowl. And at the same moment, Judas is reaching towards that same bowl. Judas is the one who's going to betray Christ. He's been paid 30 pieces of silver by the Romans, and you can see he's grasped that bag of silver in his right hand as he pulls away from Christ, his face cast in shadow. But he's pulling away at the same time that he's still reaching out to the bowl, and that's one of the ways that Christ identifies who will betray him, the person who shares, who dips with him in that bowl. It's interesting because the history of the art history about this painting is really about scholars arguing about what moment this is. <laughs> but I think there are all of these moments here, and the apostles could just as easily be understood as reacting to Christ's words, one of you will betray me, as they could to Christ saying, take the bread, for this is my body, and take the wine, for this is my blood. So Leonardo tells us several moments in this story, and at the same time gives us a sense of the divine, eternal importance of this story. I mean, we would never mistake this for 13 people having dinner. We know this is the Last Supper. We know that this is an important moment, but without any of the obvious symbols of the divine that we would have in the early Renaissance, like the halo. The figures themselves are monumental in this space and too crowded for that table, creating a kind of energy, a kind of chaos that surrounds the perfection, the solemnity, the geometry of Christ. That's right. Christ forms an equilateral triangle. His head is in the center of a circle. The window that frames his head reads as a halo. There's that calm center. And then human beings with all of their faults and fears and worries around that divine center. This is Leonardo da Vinci, who is thinking about mathematics. He's thinking about science. He's thinking about the integration of all of these things.
heard some of you say that uh, you don't like the sound of a clarinet. For those of you of whom that is true, let me make to do two things. In just a moment, please put your fingers in your ear. And after the service, write a letter of complaint to the elders. Because what I am about to do is my obedience to a very persuasive plea of the elders <laughs> that I play the clarinet today. <laughs> so here we are. All joking aside, aren't we thankful to God that he has given so 